Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. The world is on fire. 59 wildfires in 11 different states, many of them in California. Hello, everybody. On a Monday, July 30, here we are, the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. Hope you're not one of those impacted by those wildfires, the worst of which is the car fire, they're calling it, in Redding, California, an area I know very well. Uh, friends there, talked to them over the weekend. It is hell. It is hell. Very reminiscent of the horrific fire that hit Santa Rosa, California. Uh, very much like that in a, uh, a met- metropolitan area, an urban area with so many homes destroyed, so many lives lost, so much property destroyed. Uh, our hearts go out to them and uh, just more more indication of the climate change that we are enduring and ignoring uh, at our peril. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, the leader of the the capital of the free world, Washington, D.C., in our studio right in the heart of the action right here on Capitol Hill. Good to see you today with lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. Uh, Can you believe it? They control the government all branch, three branches of the government, and yet Donald Trump says, we want to shut it down because we're not getting anything done, threatening to shut down the government. Yeah, hasn't he done that before? Last thing Republicans want to hear, last thing Americans need to hear. Michael Cohen says he's got information that Donald Trump did know all about that meeting at Trump Tower in June 2016, and the uh, Robert Mueller, the special counsel, uh, apparently wants to talk to Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer of the Donald Trump empire. The noose is tightening, the financial news, particularly on Donald Trump. Hey, so much to talk about. We'll jump right into it and look forward to hearing from you and your comments 
on all the news of the day. Your comments, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll get right to it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news here on a Monday. Okay, stick with me because this story is crazy. We go to Virginia where there is a congressional race going on between Democratic candidate Leslie Cockburn and her Republican opponent, Denver Riggleman. So yesterday, Leslie Cockburn, again, who is the Democrat, tweeted out a photo that Leslie says came from her opponent, Denver Riggleman. The tweet is a photo from his Instagram page showing a drawing of a Bigfoot with a giant penis. And she says in her tweet, quote, my opponent, Denver Riggleman, running mate of Corey Stewart, was caught on camera campaigning with a white supremacist. Now he has been exposed as a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. This is not what we need on Capitol Hill. People went and looked at his Instagram page, and indeed, he has several drawings of nude, aroused Bigfoot creatures. This is a kink, I guess. I mean, this is really weird. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing ever. I don't, I mean, I, how do you explain it? I, I don't want to make fun of the guy for his kink, but also that is bizarre. Bigfoot erotica? Bigfoot erotica, which is apparently a thing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, ju- you need may not more- be the weirdest thing ever on Capitol Hill, but <laughs> pretty weird. Yeah, and just in case you wanted to know whether or not you should vote for a Democrat or Republican in the race. Uh, so, let me get clear. This is the Republican... Republican candidate for Congress in Virginia. Who has the Bigfoot erotica. That's it. Okay. That's right. it. Okay, well, one final story really quickly, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg was interviewed over the weekend about how much longer she thinks she has on the Supreme Court. She says... I think I have about another five years in me. She says that John Paul Stevens stepped down with heat when he was 90. She's 85. She says she'll do five more years. She's looking at 90 when she'll retire. Well, at least Donald Trump will be out of the White House by Fingers then. Fingers crossed, buddy. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, we control the government, but Donald Trump says we're still going to shut it down. Uh, (laughs) Dropped that little stink bomb in the laps of Republicans yesterday, threatening to shut down the government if they don't give him money for his stinking wall. Of course, our memories are not that bad. He made that pledge about a year ago. And Republicans didn't give him the money, and he didn't shut it down. So we'll see how this one goes. But it's the last thing, 100 days from midterm elections that Demo- that Republicans wanted to hear uh, from their commander-in-chief, another threat to shut down the government. That's not what they want voters to think of them as they go into the midterms. And what do you say? Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show here on this Monday, July 30, almost the last day of July. Big day tomorrow. Paul Manafort trial starts uh, over in Virginia. And we've got all the news of the day. There's a lot of it since I saw you last. By the way, hats out to uh, hands out and, and a big thank you to Igor Volsky for sitting in on a Friday with a good show as always. And uh, since I saw you last on Thursday and on Friday and over the weekend, lots and lots of stuff piling up to talk about. 
So it's good to be with you again today. Hope you had a great week and had a chance to uh, relax, uh, spend some time with friends and family, recharge your batteries, and are all ready to go. Don't forget, we're with you everywhere in this great land of ours. We could possibly reach you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on on, uh, television, on Free Speech TV, nationwide, coast to coast, and also on the radio statewide in Indiana Talks and all through the greater Chicago area and the great city of Chicago uh, at um, on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. Uh, and by the way, as we get into it, I just want to tell you that, um, yes, indeed, somebody had to do it. And so uh, I got the lucky straw uh, Thursday evening representing the entire Bill Press team at the great Eagles concert at Nats Park. Uh, I've got to tell you, when the opening act is James Taylor, for an hour and 15 minutes, he started right on time at 7 o'clock. I was very impressed. And Peter, I want to tell you, the stadium was packed. I believe that. I mean, as big a crowd as I've ever seen at uh, at Nats Stadium. Well, and, I mean, the Na- course, I mean, the Nats aren't going to sell it out these days as yeah, bad right. as they are. So, of course, some sections they had to they they had to block off because you wouldn't be able to see the stage. But that was made up for by thousands of people on the field. Uh, we were right at right above first base, great seats, and then the Eagles took over at nine o'clock and they played for two and a half hours. Good grief. They were phenomenal. And no, they did not come out in wheelchairs. I was going to say. Damn it. I was going to say. Damn it. You, uh, know, you they, know, they they, they, they they tend to do things on time because they, you know, they got to get to bed early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No. <laughs> when they start up, I say, we have Don Henley started. Say, we got two and a half hours of music for you tonight. I couldn't believe it. And they Man. did. Yeah. Okay. And they they were phenomenal. All the all the great old hits. I mean, you know, your lion eyes and. Uh, Hotel California, and you can go on and on and on. Uh, it was a, a phenomenal concert. I must say, uh, the crowd was just a tad older than you would see at, at most concerts these days, right? I would imagine so. <laughs> but uh, it was it was it was huge. It's huge. funny. I actually and the crowd was really into it. It I, was really fun. I really went fun. to a concert just down the way at the Anthem on the same night. I had to walk by the ballpark, and I have oh, to say there was yeah. definitely. A oh, demographic. What was it? The anthem. Uh, it was a band called Sylvanesso. You, you would you would know about it. But they, no, they uh, no. it was definitely it was definitely a crowd for the Eagles James Taylor concert. So we sort of split it up. Uh, Barack and Michelle went to Beyonce the Beyonce concert <laughs> at uh, right. FedEx. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I and I was saying I, I said so. If, oh, if you're going to that one, I'll go to the Eagles concert. That's nice so, of you. Yeah. Uh, we broke it up. And by the by the way, you know, everything was fine except we ended up having. Uh, six drunks, especially one drunk woman, right in front of us. And uh, uh, I told the I, I told the security guard, fine. I said, look, you're either going to throw them out or you're going to find us two other seats. Sure. And they did. Okay. And so that was fine. I didn't want to throw them out, but they were just obnoxious. Don't go to a concert <laughs> drunk, you know. You haven't been to many concerts then, apparently, because that, <laughs> that happens a lot. I hate to say. <laughs> hey, the other news from California. Got to tell you, I talked to some friends in Redding, California. Who are very impacted? Oh uh, I mean, the the there are first of all, it's just out of control. Um, should not be now. It should not have been in the spring with the Santa Rosa fire. Should not be now. Uh, it should not be. It should. If there are any wildfires, they you know sort of come September October, 
Uh, this is the worst, and uh, it is really, really bad. 59 fires uh, in 11 different states burning out of control, most of them out of control. The car fire in Reading is the worst, where six people have lost their lives, including a tragic story of a great-grandmother and her two great-grandchildren. I think one, two, and one, four that were with her that couldn't get out of the house, uh, trapped uh, in the house, and uh, and lost their lives. And it's just the friends I talked to um, were not impacted yet, but they had been told to uh, pack their car and uh, get ready to go. Uh, you know, uh, I can tell you, there's nothing more frightening for yourself and your family. Uh, we've been through that in 1995 where we live in uh, West Marin uh, County, California, north of San Francisco, the fire that raged through there and destroyed dozens of homes. A lot of friends of ours lost their homes, and we were right in right in the line of fire. Um, the fire was heading right toward us. We had a fire truck uh, in our driveway, parked in our driveway. We had a fire crew spend the night uh, camped out on our lawn, uh, cooked them dinners. Carol cooked them spaghetti dinner the night before, and... Uh, and they told us, look, we trust you. Uh, you're young enough. You're active enough. You're healthy enough. Um, pack your car. Head it downhill. And uh, we trust you when we tell you to leave. you got to go right away. No questions asked. Of course, we did. Uh, and the wind changed uh, overnight. Uh, the fire getting to about half an hour from our house. And the wind changed, and they were able to bring up some more water and knock it down. Unfortunately, we were spared, but... It's a horrific situation to be in the line of one of those fires, and nothing, nothing you can do about it. So uh, hearts out to those people in the line of the fires there, and boy, boy, is that, again, ever a wake-up call to climate change. That's why we're seeing such extreme heat these days, uh, why we're seeing uh, such new horrific storm activity and such an increasing number of catastrophic wildfires. Meanwhile, here on the political front, oh, my God, it is. Hey, remember when um, <laughs> remember when they praised Rudy, I mean, Michael Cohen as an honest and honorable lawyer? That wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago that Michael Cohen said he'd rather jump off a building and commit suicide than turn on his buddy Donald Trump. It wasn't long ago that Michael Cohen said he'd take a bullet, if necessary, for his client, Donald Trump. Well, it looks like Michael Cohen's going to still might take a bullet, but <laughs> it won't be taking a bullet for Donald Trump. It'll be taking a bullet from Donald Trump. They are out to get him now because Michael Cohen realizes that uh, Donald Trump was ready to throw him under the bus. Uh, the fixer was going to get fixed. And Michael Cohen realized that this isn't worth it, that his family uh, and his life and his friends and his country were more important than his loyalty to Donald Trump. So with the help of his attorney, Lanny Davis, he has so suddenly uh, changed his tune, uh, changed his course of direction, uh, and he is giving every indication, pardon me, that he is now ready to tell the truth which is what Rudy Giuliani originally said he would do, of course. We don't worry about him because he's just going to tell the truth, and the truth will not hurt my client. Uh, now that they know Michael Cohen may tell the truth, they are scared, you know what, at the White House. Because if there's the greatest threat to, Michael, to Donald Trump today 
uh, is not Vladimir Putin. The greatest threat to Donald Trump today is not Kim Jong-un. The greatest threat is, indeed, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen saying, among other things, of course, uh, that he knows that Donald Trump knew about that infamous meeting at Trump Tower in June 2016. Michael Cohen was not at the meeting, but he claims, and he says without being asked, he claims that he was there when Donald Trump himself was informed that this meeting was planned and that Donald Trump, for the purpose of getting dirt on Hillary Clinton from a Russian operative, and Donald Trump gave the okay to go ahead, said they could go ahead with that meeting. Uh, And, of course, it is Michael Cohen who released the tape last week, a tape on which uh, Donald Trump is heard very clearly discussing payment of hush money to Karen McDougal um, in in return for her keeping quiet uh, about their affair. Uh, and in that in that tape, and we'll listen to it again here, we know that Donald Trump, you can tell that he knew about Karen McDougal. He knew about the fact that they were going to have to pay her. He knew that David Pecker, who was the head of um, the National Enquirer, the publisher, was involved in this because it was so-called ca- a cash-and-kill story. They got her story from her and then were paying her to kill the story. And and Donald Trump knows, of course, about this mysterious Allen, whom Michael Cohen says he's already talked to in terms of arranging this payment. This tape is in such dispute, Rudy Giuliani now claims that the tape has been doctored. So let's listen to it again. Again, it's not there's a lot going on, it's not all that clear but you can hear clearly what I described happening on the tape. When it comes time for the financing, which will be... Listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So I'll pay again. No, 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 no. I got... No, no, no. Mm-hmm. We'll have but to pay. pay what financing? Cash. We'll have to pay. Uh, it sounds like Donald Trump says pay with cash, and Michael Cohen says no, 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 no. But it's before that on the tape where he does say, if you hear the whole tape... Um, that I've talked to David, doesn't mention his last name, doesn't have to, Donald Trump knows who it is, and I've got to set up a phony company to make this payment, and I have uh, discussed this with Alan, without identifying, doesn't have to. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, Mm -hmm. so that... I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and, I've spoken, me, and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about uh, how to set the whole thing up uh, with so what are we funding. The, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Alan Weisselberg. That's very significant. Alan Weisselberg. Alan. So there are two people here that are uh, dangerous for Trump. One of them is Michael Cohen. His friend, his fixer, his business partner... In addition to this tape, there are now, Rudy Giuliani says, 183 tapes. Now, Rudy says only one of them uh, is the president heard on only one of those tapes. Yeah, if you can believe anything Rudy Giuliani says, okay, there you go. But that, so the one person who's is really trouble here is Michael Cohen for the reasons we've 
pointed out. The other is this Alan Weisselberg. This is the first time his name has come up, but he has been around probably longer than Michael Cohen. He's the chief financial officer, the CFO for the whole Trump empire. If anybody knows where every dollar is, where every dollar went, where every dollar came from, it's Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg has now been subpoenaed by, uh, I said earlier, the um, Robert Mueller. It's not true. Remember, it's a little confusing because there are two cases going on. When Robert Mueller heard about the Michael Cohen stuff, he referred it to the New York District, U.S. Attorney in New York, the second district in New York, Manhattan. Uh, they're the ones that are looking into the financial side of Donald Trump and Michael Cohen's dealings, and that's where Alan Weisselberg has been subpoenaed. Let me tell you, you get Alan Weisselberg in there, and everything is wide open. The tax returns, all the return, all the business deals, all the loans from Russian banks, God knows what's in there. All the bankruptcies, uh, that's Alan Weisselberg. Uh, and now he's right in the mix, as well as Michael Cohen. And suddenly, so the storm now is directed against Michael Cohen, led, of course, by Rudy Giuliani. He goes on Fox, and he, who, uh, who, again, in the past, praised the hell out of Michael Cohen. So Rudy Giuliani was all over the place, all over the media over the weekend. Remember, he was not hired as an attorney by Donald Trump. He was hired as a loudmouth TV guy. Uh, and that's what he does. I don't think he's very good at it, but that's what he does. He's on Janine Pirro Saturday night and on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace uh, Sunday morning, where I think Chris really gave him a buzz cut. First of all, he says, listen to all the great things you said about Michael Cohen. Here's what you said about Cohen a couple of months ago and the possibility that he might talk to special counsel Robert Mueller. I expect that he is going to cooperate with him. I don't think they'll be happy with it because he doesn't have any incriminating evidence about the president or himself. The man is an honest, honorable lawyer. Honest, honorable lawyer. But now you say Cohen is, quote, your words, a pathological lawyer, uh, liar, <laughs> right. pathological lawyer, a Freudian slip, a pathological liar who's been lying for years. So what happened? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> well, Rudy says, well, now I know more about him. Well, here's what happened. I mean, I found out, as everyone else did, that he was surreptitiously recording his clients, which is a disbarable offense. Obviously, obviously, I knew that. I would never have said he was a reputable lawyer. I just said he was a scoundrel. I, uh, I found out he not only taped lawyers, but he t totally intended to deceive because he had a conversation with one of your colleagues, Chris Cuomo, in which he made a big show of putting his phone in a drawer. Cuomo's phone in a drawer and said, we'll be off the record, no recording. He then proceeded to record two hours of that conversation. Makes him a total liar. I didn't know that. And now I've listened, unfortunately, or fortunately from my client's point of view, to many, many hours of tapes. And the man is a pathological manipulator, liar. Uh, hey, by the way here, we're not painting Michael Cohen as any good guy, by the way. That's, no. that's worth pointing out. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, he's a scoundrel. He's scum. He's been... Donald Trump's bully, I mean, Charles Blow has a great column in the New York Times this morning where he talks about Michael Cohen that way, way back when uh, uh, Ivanka, at one point in her divorce proceedings, accused Donald Trump of raping her, 
uh, Michael Cohen went after some attorney, uh, I mean, I'm some, some journalist from one of the New York uh, tabloids, and, and basically threatened her. He said, you'd write any story that includes the word rape and, you know, your entire freaking life, I will make it hell on the planet for you. Boom, 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 boom. He, and he said, it's impossible to rape your spouse. That, that's his infamous line. That's, that's his, his claim to fame. Which, right. So he's no good guy. Point, We're not right. painting him as a good guy. Right. But the point is, the fact that he might have uh, lied about the tapes that he made or whatever, is he telling you have to raise a question of everything he says. But uh, when he says Donald Trump if he, uh, knew about that one meeting, if so, if so, uh, and if he can prove that, that is trouble for Donald Trump. CNN this morning has a story where they, they have out, out, they've pointed out they've all, all the, the, the transcript for 20 different times Donald Trump has said, I did not know about that meeting ahead of time. 20 times. Now, Michael Cohen says he did. If Michael Cohen can give enough evidence to prove that he did, that's collusion. That's collusion. That's one of the main things that that, uh, Robert Mueller, of course, is looking at. Donald Trump, that never took place. That would be one more example of collusion. Although, as I pointed out, I think we saw 45 minutes of collusion uh, in uh, in Helsinki. Um, so the other thing, by the way, uh, Rudy Giuliani is saying is that the the tape must have been doctored because suddenly the tape ends, which is, by the way, just freaking ridiculous. That tape we just played here, that little soundbite we played, it ended. Big effing deal. Doesn't mean we doctored it. It just means every time you see anything on television, any audio or any video, it ends at one point. Everything has an end. <laughs> you end it when you think you've made it's made the point you want to make. We, right. Peter, you edit how much sound every day, right? Right, right, right. Stop doctoring our tapes. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we put out a podcast every day. It's about two hours long. There's an end to it. That yeah. doesn't mean we cut anything out. We doctored it. Doctored it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is broke, that broke over the weekend and talked about this yesterday on uh, Fox News. Uh, yes, I was on Fox News on Media Buzz with uh, Howie Kurtz. Um, is that Robert Mueller is also apparently now looking at, in terms of, we just talked about a possible example of collusion, he's also looking at Donald Trump's tweets, which, by the way, serves him right. Because I remember when we first, this whole Trump, God forbid, this Trump administration started. At the White House, we were all confused about what do you do about the, okay, you got the briefings every day and you got official news conferences. What do you do about these tweets just popping up all over the place? And we asked Sean Spicer, and and Spicer said, no, presidential tweets are presidential statements. You have to take them seriously. This He means it. This is the president of the United States. And there were people early on that warned him, you got to be careful with these tweets because you got this special investigation going on and every one of your tweets could end up being used against you. And Donald Trump, I mean, Reince Priebus warned him about that. John Kelly warned him about that. They both gave up. Uh, and now, in fact, Robert Mueller is looking at these tweets as evidence, ev- possible evidence of obstruction of justice. The tweets where Donald Trump uh, goes after Jeff Sessions, goes after James Comey, goes after Rod Rosenstein, goes after the investigation, uh, 
which could be seen as obstruction of justice, intimidation of witnesses, pressuring uh, people in the law enforcement community to drop the investigation. So, you know, it's a case of live by the tweets and die by the tweets, baby. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's when Donald Trump can't complain. Oh, this is unfair. They're reading my tweets. Yeah, well, you put them out every day, bozo, to 53 million people. And, of course, they're going to be read, particularly because you happen to be the president of the United States. You know, there have been many different cases of where he could get in trouble with his Twitter account because, you know, he's blocked oh. some people. He's blocked some journalists. Yeah. And there's, there are currently cases going on about whether or not the president of the United States can block you on twitter which is amazing that we're in that time right because yeah but that but that we are fully living in that time but also remember the uh the ban against transgender americans serving in the military came from a tweet yeah and and no policy no we asked about it and they said no that's a presidential statement the defense department has to follow that now they have to do more to make it happen sure but that's a basic commander-in-chief giving an order yeah. Uh, it's amazing. It, so think about that next time you tweet. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, one other dumb thing happened. So, I love the Freedom Caucus, right? We talked about James Jordan, Jim Jordan from Ohio, being in such trouble because of the allegations that as the assistant wrestling coach at Ohio, there, were, there was a team doctor who was groping, taking advantage of, and sexually assaulting, really, uh, young men, members of the wrestling team, and that Jim Jordan knew about it and didn't do anything about it. Don't know the truth or whatever those allegations, but it certainly is a cloud hanging over Jim Jordan's head. Nonetheless, he announced his candidacy for Speaker of the House of Representatives on Thursday. And at the same time, the Freedom Caucus announced or uh, introduced impeachment um, uh, articles against Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Uh, They insisted they were going to have a vote on this before they left for the summer break, uh, which I guess um, Paul Ryan talked them out of. At any rate, they decided they, they, they dropped it and said, okay, we'll put it off and we won't vote on it until September. But, you know, this... First of all, this is just a pure publicity stunt. I forget one of our guests last week told us that every, if you look back, for the last four years, the day before the the House goes on a break, the Freedom Caucus does something spectacular just to get a lot of publicity. It's a media stunt. Uh, Four years ago, it was they said they were going to dethrone John Boehner. Oh, that's right. Remember? And insist on a vote before they left for the break, and they didn't. I mean, Boehner eventually left. They did last year was something else. I think last year might have been the, the the Dreamers or immigration or something, whatever. So this year it was this plan to impeach Rod Rosenstein, uh, which, by the way, neither one is going to happen. There's not going to be. There's not going to. They're not going to impeach Rod Rosenstein, number one, and Jim Jordan is never going to be Speaker of the House of Representatives, number two. Uh, but it was just it was a whole kind of nonsensical thing. Uh, there was a little bit of good news uh, in that uh, that Donald Trump uh, took credit for on Friday morning before he left uh, to spend the weekend up in Bedminster, New Jersey at the Trump golf course. Uh, and that is the GDP 
4.1% in the second quarter. Uh, how good is that? What does it mean? And is it likely to stay that way for the rest of the year? Stan Collender, our good friend, the, the Budget Guy blog, author of the Budget Guy blog. Haven't seen him in a while. Be good to have him back. He joins us next year on the Bill Press Show. So we'll take a quick break, talk a lot of the economic issues facing the country with uh, Stan Collender when we come back. Stay with us on this Monday, July 30th. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Hey, here we are on a Monday, July 30. How about it? Great to see you today. It is the uh, Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Gerard. The United Steelworkers, probably North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 active and retired members. Uh, in light of uh, our conversation just a few minutes ago about the uh, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump tape and Rudy Giuliani's nonstop media appearances now to um, put down Michael Cohen and uh, undermine his credibility, uh, you'll be pleased to know that Rudy Giuliani, of course, is on Fox and Friends this morning with Donald Trump watching as the headline is, Media Obsesses Over Cohen Tapes. <laughs> isn't, isn't, uh, isn't Giuliani on staff at uh, Fox? I think he is. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> He's a paid <laughs> contributor in both the White House and for Fox News. That voice is the voice of our good friend Stan Collender, who joins us, uh, author of the Budget Guy blog, and you can follow Stan on uh, Twitter. At the Budget Guy. Absolutely. At the Budget Guy. That's who you are. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. It's been a long time. I know. Thanks for coming back here. Uh, starting off this morning with all the stories we've been talking about, generating uh, some comments. Peter, you yeah. want to bring us up to date? Sure, here yeah. Absolutely. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Oh, wait a minute. Excuse me. Rudy is now saying, experts think the Cohen tapes were tampered with oh. and doctored. Yeah, that, that's, just, that, that's like the president saying, everyone's telling you. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. People are saying. Dot, yeah, dot, people dot. are saying. Yeah. Oh, Everyone geez. believes it. Everyone oh, believes geez. it. Well, yeah. uh, we got, uh, believe it or not, we got a couple of tweets about Rudy Giuliani. No. And Michael Cohen. Yeah, Walker <laughs> Ogden says, my goodness, did I hear Rudy Giuliani say that Michael Cohen is a pathological liar? <laughs> well, I believe he would know one. <laughs> Jim Irwin. By the way, can I, can I just point out the other thing that – that I thought Rudy's first response to the tapes was, "Listen, I'm a former pro. I, I, I'm a former prosecutor, and I, t I tried the members of the mob. You know, this isn't as bad as the tapes that I heard. <laughs> That's what he's saying. This isn't bad as the Giotto brothers, right? Great Giotto defense. Family or something. Great defense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of other tweets. Jim says uh, famous quotes in presidential history: "I am not a crook." Mm -hmm. Richard Nixon. I did not have sex with that woman, Bill Clinton, and I had no knowledge of that meeting, Donald Trump. All of them seem to look like provable lies. And Holly says, "Bill, let's stop calling or let's stop calling this collusion. Let's call it what it is. It was a conspiracy." Oh. Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show, reading your comments on any topic at any time. All right, good to hear from you all. Thank you for your for your comments. So. Uh, Stan, uh, Monday or Friday morning, rather, before heading off to Bedminster, the president uh, called a sudden little news, so-called news conference uh, on the south lawn of the White House. It's the South Portico. 
where he announced that the um, GDP numbers for the second quarter were 4.1% growth. Mm -hmm. uh, here is uh, his statement. Once again, we are the economic envy of the entire world. When I meet the leaders of countries, the first thing they say invariably is, Mr. President, so nice to meet you. Congratulations on your economy. You're leading the entire world. Uh, and these numbers, he said, this 4.1, uh, it's not just a one-time phenomenon. No, uh This is permanent, Stan. These numbers are very, very sustainable. This isn't a one-time shot. I mm. happen to think we're going to do extraordinarily well in our next report next quarter. So, uh, for, for, I mean, it is worth bragging about, isn't it? Oh, sure, except um, keeping – first of all, it's not sustainable. I don't know any economist. Every, all the economists are telling me that it's not sustainable. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Um, but it, it, this is a sugar high. It's based on uh, the tax cut, so some, te some temporary uh, features of the tax cut. Uh, um, and, and, in fact, there were either, also numbers on Friday showing that the tax cut's not leading to investment, which is how you get permanent changes, per permanent positive changes in the economy. But it's also because a lot of people in advance of the tariffs were, were trading like crazy, trying to buy soybeans and other things. It's a one-time hit, uh, positive hit. But um, unless there's another tax cut, unless there's, an, the, the, there's even more tariffs that countries are trying to get ahead of, um, I don't see how – what would possibly uh, sustain this beyond, uh, beyond this quarter. In fact, uh, the, well, the people I speak to on Wall Street and elsewhere think it's gonna, the growth is going to fall down to about 2% or below that over the longer term. Um, mm -hmm. So, first of all, it's not extraordinary. Second, I'd like to hear what all the translators for all the uh, – well, the uh, other other country leaders are saying when uh, about the yeah. president, <laughs> yeah, right, right. whether he yeah. actually said that. Um, but but third, there are some real issues in the economy that the president's refusing to talk about. So, for example, that the Federal Reserve is almost certainly going to be encouraged to raise interest rates beyond where they currently are. In fact, the president's already tweeted out and said some things that he didn't like it because he's worried mm. about it. That'll slow growth. Right. Um, you know, so we've got a deficit that's going to require the government to borrow more and interest rates are going to rise and that's going to slow down all, all other kinds of things. We're already seeing that kind of slowdown in the housing market. I remember uh, in the early days of the uh, or maybe midterm in the in the Obama administration uh, sort of needling uh, Jay Carney or whoever the press secretary was about, <laughs> got, you know, there's some great economic numbers here and uh, and the market's kind of really taken off. Why isn't the president out there? Uh, taking credit for this and bragging about this, and, and their response was, because we know that what goes up can come down, yeah, right? And, and we want to, we don't want to, kind of ha be in a position of having egg on our face six months from now. Yeah, I mean, this this are, is a president, as you know, because you talk about it all the time, who breaks every norm that you could possibly break, right. and particularly yeah. true with the economy. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little more subtle than some of the more bombastic, hyperbolic things he says on on um, politically. But you don't comment about the market going up by 100 points one day because it's just as likely these days to go down 100 points or 200 points the next day. You don't comment about the Fed because it's an independent body and because you're going to challenge them not to do what you want them to do. Um, and you don't reveal growth rates a day before because you're going to be giving your friends a chance to trade on them. Yeah. Um, so this is a president who um, you can't take what he says for granted. Uh, or as gospel on, on the economy because it's more likely he's trying to serve his own interests rather than the country's. Well, in fact, he appeared Friday uh, on Sean Hannity's radio show uh, saying that the, the contrasting 
the way things are today with what might have happened if Hillary Clinton had been uh, elected. Here he is. Had my opponent won, the Democrats, you would have had an economy that instead of being up close to 40 percent in the stock market, they would have been down 40 or 50 percent because the regulations were choking this country. When, in fact, under Barack Obama, we had a pretty extended period of economic growth. Yeah. And I, the market just went boom, 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 boom. Now it's continued under Trump, but it started and really soared under Obama. Um, yeah, you know, that's exactly as did, right. That's exactly as did right. job creation. Right. I mean, remember, Obama was coming out of the recession with the, under the George W. Bush administration. Uh, he, had, he had plumbing he had to fix. He had a variety of things that had to get done. Uh, and we and and this this t- almost ten year growth path that we've been on really started during the Obama administration and almost certainly would have continued under Hillary. Uh, I, it may not have been the same glide path. It may have been it may have been better. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, this is a typical Trump kind of brag that it, it only could have happened under under my my tutelage, and yeah. that's just not true. So you mentioned, and I've seen this too, that part of the reason for the uh, uh, part of the uh, facts behind the four point one percent GDP was. The fact that with the tariffs coming on soybeans, that like China bought a whole like boatloads and boatloads and boatloads and boatloads of soybeans to get in yeah. before the tariffs, mm-hmm. right? So, what impact are these tariffs likely to have on the U.S. economy? Well, not likely to have. Are already having. They look. What you're doing essentially is increasing the price of the goods the U.S. sells abroad on a variety of things. Um, so what you're going to do is, is two things. Uh, number one, you, if you increase the price of something, you're gonna, there's going to be less purchases of it, uh, or, the, mm-hmm. or people are going to look for alternatives. And we already know that China is looking to Brazil for soybeans uh, to replace the soybeans that they would have bought at the U.S. and are getting it at better prices. The other thing that's going to happen is, and we've already seen this happening what too. What other product? We keep hearing about soybeans, but I mean, you know, I don't buy many soybeans. Well, actually, you what do. You I? just don't buy them raw. You, oh. bu- you buy them in a variety of other things, like because okay. I'm sure you're a big tofu eater. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> you got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 soy is in a variety of things. Even you know everything from soy, soy sauce to uh, to tofu, as I said. That's right. Soy sauce, right? Yes, I, I mean I, that, that's, I am a consumer of that. I hadn't yeah, thought about that. Because Sunday but afternoon at four o'clock is uh, <laughs> Chinese food. I understand. What other products? Well, I mean, you've, you've got a variety of things coming out of the Midwest, uh, everything from pork to, uh, to to a variety of other agricultural things. But it's it's not just that; it's steel, it's aluminum, it's it's, and that's what I was just going to say, which is mm-hmm. the other pro- the other problem with the U.S. putting tariffs on on goods coming into the U.S. or, or um, is that they're getting retaliatory tariffs put on U.S. goods going uh, coming uh, goods being bought by Americans. Mm-hmm. So it, very soon, if you're going to go buy a washing machine or a, or a dryer, um, it's going to be coming from overseas, and it's going to cost you 25% more, and you either may not buy it, or you may buy a cheaper version, or you, you may reduce your purchases of other things to be able to, to afford it. It's, it's not the kind – when prices go up, it's not the kind of thing that adds to uh, uh, you, the quality of life that you have. Well, when the president says – uh, you know, look, they've been taking advantage of us for years and years and years, you know, and we look like fools, and it's about time that we that we got even, right, and, and did something about this. I mean, well, great. I mean, it, it, as if they're not going to respond in kind. Uh, I mean, that's the problem. First of all, yes, there is, uh, there is, there are some tariffs that are uh, 
difficult for and and are, and are trying to reduce the per, the uh, exports of U.S. overseas uh, so that they can so that countries can sell in their own domestic economies, um, as we're trying to do right now, by the way. But uh, many mm-hmm. of these tariffs are just going to respond are, are just going to get others to respond in kind and and double and triple the, no- the number of products, or or quadruple the number of products that get tariffs or quadruple quadruple the uh, the size of the tariffs, the amount of the tariffs, and it, it, it it's all this well, is is a tax. Will they ever get to the point where they slow down the economy enough that people are going to say this is just a disaster? I mean, right now I'd have to say, every, you know, he's done these tariffs. I think it's a bad public policy, but people don't seem to care, and the economy just still seems to be humming along. It's way too early. It's it's really? way too it's way too early, mm-hmm. um, and the, the the effect will be felt differently in different sectors of the economy. The farm set the farm sector, the soybean farmers, for example, are going to feel it first. Uh, they're already talking about it. How the prices they're getting, yeah. for, you know, yeah. are, are 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 just not and as good. We've seen some pork farmers and yeah. I mean, look, this twelve billion dollar farm bailout is not an accident. I mean, this this is because the administration was told by its allies on the hill and its allies in the Midwest. Uh, that this is hurting and it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt you politically, um, and it, twelve billion isn't even going to be close to enough. Uh, so if if it wasn't going to hurt, they wouldn't have tried, they wouldn't have done this bailout. There will be others. You will have retailers that get hurt because things like washing machines are going to be more expensive and people are going to buy fewer of them. And retail can't afford that right now. Uh, that that in- inevitably leads to layoffs because people are buying fewer goods and, and the the, pro- the profits are, wor- are worse for these companies. So, but it takes a while to work through the economy. Um, if this continues, maybe not by the midterm election, but certainly by 2020, it could even push us very close to a recession. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, that many of them, and that's serious. Well, that plus the deficit plus higher interest rates. Uh, you know, we, we just I just saw a report over the weekend that uh, the Soviet Union since May has eliminated, has sold all of its U.S. Treasuries and isn't buying anymore. Uh, I mean, these are kinds of things that are going to—they're going to rumble through the economy and not do and and not have a good impact at all. Um, and you know, it's not Congress that's going to take the blame because the president's going to keep getting up and doing things like he did Friday morning in the uh, what was it—the South Portico of the White South House, Portico. South Portico, right? Yeah. Um, t- trying to take a victory lap. Let's see what if he takes a victory lap when things are going south instead of north. Right. Uh, Stan Collender is with us. The Budget Guy is the name of his blog, and you can follow him on Twitter, at The Budget Guy, at The Budget Guy. Nobody knows the economic issues better. That's why we're good to have you. We're glad to have you back. So um, last November, December, the Republicans boom, put all their energy into and successfully passed the big tax cut bill, which Donald Trump signed, claiming it was going to pay for itself. Going to pay for itself. Right. Okay. There's a technical term for that. It, 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 the, the first two initials are B and S. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I just saw a, a piece a couple of days ago in the New York Times where, uh, because of the tax cuts, corporate tax revenues are down so far yeah. that they figure now it's another an additional trillion dollars to the national mm-hmm. debt. Right. This from a party that used to be the party of fiscal responsibility? Only when Democrats were in office were they the party of fiscal responsibility. Uh, in fact, I, 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 was, I was tweeting back, uh, emailing back and forth with a bunch of economist friends, mostly Republicans over the weekend about this. And what we've concluded is that the deficit, it may be an economic problem, but it's not really a political problem for those who are in office because they're giving people what they want. Um, besides, the the, yeah. the, the real uh, – by the way, Mick Mulvaney continues to the, the director of the Office of Management and Budget and whatever else other jobs he has this yeah. week. 
<laughs> continues to say that uh, the the tax bill will pay for itself, and and even though his own his own OMB shows that it won't, uh, I I think we're looking at if there's a recession, even a mild downturn, not quite a recession, um, we're looking at deficits, annual deficits of two trillion dollars. Whoa! All right, it's going to be a trillion dollars, so very close to it this year. Yeah, it's going to exceed a trillion dollars, maybe one point one, one point three trillion next year. That didn't include the twelve billion bailout for the farmers. If there's a military issue, if there's natural disasters, if interest rates go up, don't forget the fastest growing portion of the federal budget will be interest, interest on the national on the national, debt. national debt. The government's on the largest one year adjustable rate mortgage in history. So if if interest rates go up, the the amount the government's going to pay in interest is going to go up pretty substantially as well. Yeah, I mean, at, at what point? I I was just thinking when you mentioned, wasn't it Dick that Dick Cheney under George W. Bush who said? Who had always been sort of mm-hmm. a fiscal hawker? Then he said deficits are good. No, he said Reagan. Reagan proved the deficits don't matter. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, and and it. and right. he was never talking economically. He was talking politically. That you you can you, you can, can increase the deficit and and you're going to get a, people are going to bow in your direction because if you if you raise the deficit to give them things they want like a tax cut and obviously corporations are 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 are, uh, are enjoying that now. Remember that uh, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee Brady wants to bring three new tax cut bills to the floor in September. I mean, on, on top of last year. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and it'll and, add another trillion dollars to the deficit. So what is the impact of last year's tax cuts? I mean, who are they helping? Are they real, and who are they helping? Well, they're helping corporate stockholders. I mean, the, 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 corporate, I mean they're not really helping individuals uh, very much. They're not helping workers very much. Um, but what they are helping is corporations buy back their stock and raise the price of the, the, the share price. Which means if you're a corporate stockholder, uh, and it's one of the reasons the market's going up pretty soon, has gone up. It, it's been sideways for a long time now. But it, we, we got a big boost right after the tax cut because corporations mm-hmm. were buying back their, ta- their, their their stock. And if they were out of the market, you wouldn't have that kind of growth. But I was in the briefing room with, uh, right after it became effective. Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, came in you know, saying that every American family was going to get – starting that month, like a month after the bill passed, that every American family was going to get – um, paycheck. I mean, not a paycheck, uh, but a refund. You know, or not a refund. Or, they were going to get lower taxes. Okay. Yeah. And and it was so small that they couldn't even buy a cup of coffee with it. Um, <laughs> and remember, the, yeah. unlike the corporate tax cuts that that are permanent, the individual, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, the individual tax cuts phase out in 2025. We can get you a glass of water here, maybe. Huh? Uh, <laughs> the yeah, the individuals phase out, and the and the. Corporate tax cuts yeah. are forever. Right. Uh, and that was done so that they could put the tax cuts in place for the corporations uh, and still maintain the, 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 the requirements of the budget. So the, corporation, the, the businesses are, of, uh, are benefiting from this, too. <laughs> and the wealthiest of Americans as well? Is this, this, this oh, sure. But, but the average middle-class Americans aren't gaining very much about this at all. Um, it's one of the reasons Republicans aren't talking about the tax bill very <laughs> much. Ask in, fact, right. in fact, there was a report this morning, <clears throat> I think it was in the Washington Post, that said Republicans aren't even talking about the economy because the average person in the Midwest and elsewhere aren't feeling it. Right. There we go. Thanks, Peter. They, they just, it's just not the big issue. Right. No, and we remember this was going to be, they said the reason they need these tax cuts, they were very open about it. They needed something to, they hadn't accomplished anything else. Two years, they needed something to run on, and this had to be it. And this is what they were going to run on. And as you point out, and I, I saw that article in the Post this morning, 
Nobody, they're not talking about it at all. Their candidates out there on the stump are not talking about it. Well, and, and well, let me remind you one other thing. The Republicans said they needed to do the tax cut because their funders, their their, their donors, yes, yes. refused. We, we, we're telling them, get it done or don't expect another dime from me. Right, right. Uh, that tells you everything you need to know. Right. I mean, so there are reports of Sheldon Adelson, who got this big tax cut with, from all the different provisions that were included, giving $30 million to the Republicans. I mean, that was a pittance of what he got in terms of tax returns. Hmm. Um, Donald Trump uh, yesterday morning uh, uh, in a tweet that I'm sure um, most Republicans were not excited to hear says um, if you don't give me my wall this time I'm really going to do it I'm going to shut down the government uh, he, he said this uh, it's coincidentally on the day uh, day 100 before the midterm elections <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan were just holding their heads saying, didn't you tell us earlier in the week that you weren't going to do this? Which uh, he did, which apparently, he did. Well, at, a, at a White House meeting, right? Yeah, that was the reporting coming out saying that Trump had said, all right, I'll agree or won't shut the government down uh, before the elections. Mm-hmm. Now, let's keep a couple of things in mind. First of all, he said this before. Second, this is a president who, if he says something today, you can't you can't rely that he's going to keep it up to the, the two days later, or that he's not going to deny that he ever said it to begin with. <laughs> um, but but I've been I've been writing about this on on the blog, uh, the budgetguy.blog uh, for uh, you notice that shameless self promotion. Shameless, good. but very That's nice, good. very seamless. Right. I've been writing about this for months, saying uh, that's the blog, the budget guy doc blog, doc blog, and Twitter is at, at the, the budget, budget guy. guy. Thank all you. Right, you get your you usual go. percentage for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've been writing about this, saying it, it's all about Trump. I mean, co- the Republicans in Congress want to be home to do fundraisers and campaign, uh, especially with both houses of Congress potentially being up for grabs. Yeah. Um, yeah. But tr- Trump's going to look at that as leverage to go to the Republicans and say, "Look, I don't. You want to get out of here? You got to give me what I want." So that Trump doesn't necessarily see Republican pain at the election pain as being anything but a, a positive for him. Right. That is just giving him leverage to do what he wants to do. Right. But isn't it, in a sense, all a bluff? Maybe. Um, he's, I mean, he's done this before. You're right. Yeah. Right. He's 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 huffed and he's puffed, but he hasn't blown the house. I remember down. he said, "If you if this bill does not have money for the wall, I'm not going to sign it." And we all saw him sign it. Well, back in March, he said, uh, I'm not going to sign another one of these. Uh, yeah, right? right. Yes. But I, I, this time may be different. Let's let's say it's September 15th. It's 15 days before the start of the fiscal year, and Congress sends him a uh, continuing resolution, the bill that they need to keep the government open, and it doesn't include all the money for the wall that he wants. And he's looking at the polls, and his political advisors are saying, you know what? We're going to have a Democratic House next year. If you don't get money for the wall now, you're never going to get it. And that's the difference now between before, which is not just that he's huffed and he puffed and, he, and he, he's promised to blow the house down this time, but that he may not get another shot at it, mm-hmm. especially if there's one or both houses taken right, over. Right. Now, there, w- there, will, there will be a lame duck session, but I'm not sure it's, the wall is going to be as likely in that lame duck session as a lot of people think. So this, this, that's why I'm thinking that there's about a 60, 60% chance of a shutdown. That's still pretty high. It's pretty high, but it, it's, it, it, I've got people tell me it should be higher. Trump is so unpredictable here, and his respect for Republicans in Congress so low that I'm not sure you can give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, there's one other factor I read somewhere this morning that, um, so he says, you know, I need the wall. It's one of four things I need. You know, has to be in a bill or something. That that same bill was up for a vote last year in a, in the Senate. Thirty nine votes. Exactly. That's exactly thirty nine votes. votes. So in this. 
midterm election year, they're really going to get more than 39 votes? Well, and right. that was before Doug Jones was elected. Yeah, now, all he's got to do is raise this in the House. I mean, the, vetoing the CR um, will give yeah. him the ability to raise the immigration issue and maybe enrage his base to get them out to vote in the election. That may be what he's thinking. Of course, I'm giving him a lot of benefit of that about thinking three months ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you're right about that. I just don't think uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I think people are maybe maybe are starting to get used to the bluff and the bluster. Hey, Sam, we got covered a lot of territory, but we're out of time. We got a lot more we could go. So Any, thanks so much for coming. Anytime, in. Anytime, anytime. Love to do it again. All right. Now let's give the shameless plug again. All right. It's the budgetguy.blog, budgetguy.blog, right? Correct. And Twitter is at the budget guy. At the budget guy. He is Stan Collender. Great to see you, my friend. And Anisha Singh is going to join us next from Center for American Progress. Lots more coming up. Don't go away. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, Republicans control all three branches of government, but Donald Trump still says he's going to shut it down. Hey, if you're in control and you can't manage it, maybe you ought to just get out of control. Maybe we can handle that in November. If you can't handle it, Get out of the kitchen, dude. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Monday, July 30, the Bill Press Show. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day on many fronts. Big war going on between Rudy Giuliani and Michael Cohen. Rudy Giuliani calling him a pathological liar the man that he once called an honest and an honorable lawyer, and accusing Michael Cohen of doctoring that tape, a tape where Donald Trump makes it very clear that he's all in favor of giving a big, great big $150,000 hush money payment to Karen McDougal, and Michael Cohen also claiming that Donald Trump knew all about the meeting Donald Trump Jr. had organized at Trump Tower with a Russian operative to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. And Robert Mueller just sitting on the sidelines while all this goes on with a great big smile on his face, watching them destroy each other. Did you see, by the way, Politico's photo yeah, at, at right. uh, the yeah. airport here in D.C. of Donald Jr. about to board a flight and uh, probably 10 feet away? Robert Mueller sitting there reading the paper, looked like they're looking at, yeah, just sitting there. Not, Only in D.C. <laughs> Only in D.C. What, what was unclear is whether either one knew that the other was there. Yeah, right. Because, uh, frankly, I would not have recognized Donnie Jr. from that 
you know, he had a ball cap on. He was, yeah. I know you're right. He, he was. He was. Yeah. It was obvious. It was not obvious. It was Donald Jr. But here's what I'd like to think. And Kimberly Guilfoy was not on his arm. Right. Right. Yeah. Here's yeah. what I'd like to think. That's here's the way she I'd... was probably showing those photos that she took of other people's genitalia. Yeah. Right. Such wow. a great person. Yeah. Clearly. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to think is that Donald Trump Jr. was about to get on his plane and he sees Robert Mueller walk up and think, oh, God, here it comes. <laughs> he probably he might have thought he had handcuffs with him and yeah, thought he right. was coming for it. That's what I'd like to think. I don't know if that was true or not. All right. Uh, yeah. And lots and lots and lots to uh, talk about, which we will get to in just a minute. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Yeah, just a couple of other stories making news. You remember back in 2014, the Malaysian Airlines plane disappeared. MH370, remember that? How could we forget? It was the story. CNN's still covering it. They're still covering it. Well, over the weekend... A highly anticipated report was put out as to what happened. What happened? We're finally going to get the answers that we want, right? No. Well, you're you're absolutely right. They, they don't know what happened. Said they don't know what happened. They said that the, the reason for the disappearance cannot, quote, cannot be determined. So all these years later, again, this happened back in 2014. Here we are in 2018, and we still don't know. 239 people went missing when this flight just disappeared. It is still a mystery, even after the report came out. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that is so bizarre. In this day and age, Yeah. with all of our technological advances and communications advances, right? Still, still. By the way, uh, did you see any good movies over the weekend? No. The last movie I saw was Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Which is the number one best-selling biographical documentary ever, ever, ever made. Is that right? Yes. Well, a lot of people went to the movies this weekend and to see Mission Impossible yeah. 6. Mission Impossible 6. It's the best franchise uh, performance for opening weekend. They brought in $61.5 million. It's Tom Cruise's second largest opening of his entire career. Wow. So he's still got it, apparently. People are still going out to see it. Mm-hmm. I didn't go see it. I didn't know if you were going to go see it. Uh, chances are <laughs> it's a no for me, dog. It's not on my list. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you today, friends and neighbors, here on Monday, July 30, the Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, uh, with our eye on what's going on here with the big feud between Rudy Giuliani and Michael Cohen and Michael Cohen's attorney, Lanny Davis, all over the tapes and who's going to tell the truth and who's not, who is telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, and where the tapes doctored. Uh, on top of that, Donald Trump sh- threatening to uh, shut down the government. CBS News launching an investigation into uh, allegations of sexual harassment uh, on the part of their uh, the head of CBS, Les Moonves, and one of the top cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church, our own Cardinal McCarrick here from Washington, D.C., resigning and the Pope accepting his resignation because of charges of sexual assault against him years and years ago by... Uh, young seminarians and one young priest. So 
Oh, so much news to talk about. Not much of it good news. And then on top of that, there are all the wildfires, 59 wildfires in 11 states. Um, but we just bring you the news. We're not responsible for all of it. And we look forward to hearing from you what you think about what's going on. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. As we join you uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And don't forget to sign up for the podcast. It's easy. Just go go to BillPressShow.com or wherever you get your podcast uh, and sign up. It's special stuff on the weekends for those of you who sign up and are part of the team. Yeah. By the way, this weekend was a really, really important episode. Uh, we talked to Marissa Cabus, who is with CrushTheMidterms.org. And there are a lot of people who want to know, how do I get involved? What can I do? Maybe you have some money to contribute. Maybe you don't have the money, but you want to find other ways to contribute. Crush the Midterms is like a, it, 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 just all kinds of different resources. And you tell them what you can do, what kind of time you're available to contribute. And they'll basically make a little plan for you yeah. on how to get involved in the midterms. And it's a really great tool. There are a lot of great organizations that are out there doing good work for the midterms. This is one that specifically tells you, here's what you can and should be doing that will be most effective. And another site is thelastweekend.org. Remember that um, right. moveon.org is organized. And also Indivisible, Our Revolution, Emily's List, um, she, should, she Should Run, Run for Something, Swing Left, all these organizations are banding together uh, as part of this uh, thelastweekend.org uh, as well. So lots and lots going on. Um, and immigration issues are go certainly going to be one of those big ones that are going to factor into the midterm elections. Uh, Anisha Singh is Senior Organizing Director of Generation Progress at the Center for American Progress, joining us in studio. Hi, Anisha. Good to see you. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, what's the latest on, I guess, this whole problem, the whole flap, the whole crisis with families getting separated from the border is all behind us because all of those families have been reunited and are living happily ever after? Is that the way it is? Absolutely not. I mean, this is a... This is just terrible what they've done here. They they went into this without any intention of reuniting these families at all. They had no process here. They had different departments doing different things, um, separating these families. And now that a court has well, first told of all, them, they said that the, this is no uh, 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 the Kirsten Nielsen is that her name? Whatever the secretary, right? Yeah. Uh, DHS secretary said we're not doing anything different than what George Bush and Barack Obama did. Yeah. That's that's absolutely untrue. They have taken a zero tolerance policy and they've basically said it doesn't matter who you are. We're separating you from your children. We're putting you in these attentions with centers with no end in sight. There's no process here. I mean, yes, we've had detention centers before, but this is cruelty at this point. Um, and to answer your previous question, there is uh, there is still seven hundred and eleven different children um, that have been deemed ineligible. And when you look deeper into why they've been deemed ineligible for reunification. Ineligible for? For it to be reunited. With, with their, their with families? Their, with their families. So we're, yeah. Yeah. So 120 of those, they're saying that the parents waived their right um, to be reunited. Um, 120, uh, that's, that's, that's people who don't know English. They didn't have their attorneys present. They had maybe 30 seconds that they were being shuffled in and out of a room forced to sign some paperwork that they didn't even know what it meant. Um, so we need to look into that. Then there's whoa, whoa, another... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, just, I find that stunning. 
They waive their right to be reunited with their kids. Exactly. That Basically, is, they're saying we don't care about our kids anymore. That is what the administration is saying. But we know that that can't be true. They're no. in a the traumatic state. They're being pushed into rooms. They're being they're talk, being talked to in English, a language they, they do not know. They do not have an attorney present. Um, and some of them are scared. They are thinking, OK, well, you know, if if this means we're going to be deported back to this country that we are fleeing in, in fear of death. Um, then yes, maybe my child is safer here. So we we don't know what the circumstances were there okay. for those 120. Right. Then there's uh, 460 plus um, parents that have been uh, deported. So that's why the children are ineligible. So the kids are still in this country. Right, and the parents have been deported. So that is also the fault of this administration. Without even thinking about how they were going to uh, unify these uh, families, they've deported all of these parents. And now they have no way of tracking them down, no way of figuring out how to reunite them. You know, we're saying bring the parents back. Uh, you have to do the right thing and, and reunite these children, fix what you've done. There's already trauma that's never going to be, um, you know, fixable with these children and these families. But the least we can do is make sure they're reunited. So in these cases, the parents could be in El Salvador or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, Guatemala, and the kids are somewhere in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some, some do they depending. even know where they are? That's the thing. They're doing DNA tests. They're trying to track them down. But I think the I think the government was really hoping when they reported their um, final numbers on Thursday with the deadline that they you know that that would be sufficient. Just saying these are these children are ineligible because you know their parents have been removed or uh, their parents have waived their rights or whatever it might be. Um, but luckily the the court is saying that's not good enough. You you created this mess. Now find these parents. You still have to do you know what we've ordered you to do. So. Thursday, I knew there was a deadline. I wasn't sure. It was last Thursday mm-hmm. to reunite all the families. Was that it? Yes. I mean, that was yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there was a July what? 10th deadline for those who were, um, you know, tender age uh, infants and toddlers. Um, and then the, the five through 12 year old, or sorry, 17 year olds had mm-hmm. to be reunited by uh, last week's deadline. Right. And when we say reunited, that doesn't mean that they're. Uh, given asylum necessarily, right? That no. they're, they're together in a some kind of detention facility? Absolutely. They're still in an ICE facility, still in a detention center. Um, and that's been like our second wave of concerns is what is happening in these detention centers. We're hearing uh, cases of sexual abuse, um, you know, malnourishment. We're hearing people aren't being able to shower or get any hygiene, anything. There are bugs, there are ticks, there's lice. You know, what are these conditions in these detention centers and how are we making sure this government is held accountable for those conditions? Is the is the government, I mean, prepared to do this? I mean, this is a whole other level, it seems to me, of, of I mean, government activity, particularly in the part of the Border Patrol or... Or ICE. Right. The, I mean, they've taken millions and millions of dollars um, from other funding that we have allocated, uh, you know, for other programs just to create these detention centers, just to just to hire more staff to handle these detention centers. It's a waste of our resources, and, and they don't really know what they're doing with And it's HHS, right, that, that takes over once the families are... Or I don't know. At some point, yeah. At some point, it's HHS, it's DHS. You know, there are and that that's one of the reasons that there's such a mess right now is because there's so many different agencies that take part, and they've never really had this kind of uh, a mass of individuals, a mass of 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 um, you know priorities like this. So so they're not really sure what they're doing and where the process where in the process that they're handing handing these children off. Right. So the administration claims, as I see it, that 
we did the job. We promised we were going to do this. We've done it. It's done, right? I mean, end of story. Everything's everything's working now the way it should work. Right. Unfortunately, the law is that as long as you put in a good faith effort, you won't be held in contempt of court. And so for them, it's like we've put in a good faith effort. Look, we've reunited these fourteen, you know, hundred plus children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there are just all these ineligible ones. There's nothing we can do here. Um, and and luckily, the court is saying no. That's not good enough. You still have to keep trying with those seven hundred and eleven. So the um, court the courts are continuing pressure on the federal yes, government. Yes, absolutely. And once they're reunited, even. Uh, and they're in. They're still in a detention facility, as you just told us. How for how long? How how long is this asylum? These are all people seeking asylum, I assume. Right. Yeah, for the most right. part. How long does it take? So, what the government is saying is that they want to immediately deport them. Um, and so ACLU and others have been filing Before cases. an asylum hearing, or yeah, just immediately deport them. So, what ACLU is saying, at least give us seven days. Um, we need seven days to have these these families decide what to do, whether they want to, you know, get legal representation, whether they want to leave their child here and, and go back for now without their child, you know, figure out where their child can be held, things like that. And and, and the government's saying seven days is too long. And, I, you know, the, the seven days. is Yeah, too long. exactly. You know, you've been separated from your child and then you're told you only have seven days to say goodbye to them, possibly forever, because you want them safe in this country because, you know, going back to your country might mean death. Uh, and so it, it's just ridiculous how unfair this government is being. So the ACLU and other organizations, again, have been um, putting in court order or, you know, filing in court um, for some sort of extension. So in some of these cases, the parents could choose to go, I mean, in theory at least, to return to their country of origin and leave their kids here? Yeah, and that's what the government's saying 120 parents already did. Our thing is at least let them sit down and really have the, you know the forms translated. Let an attorney tell them what that really actually means, the pros and cons. Let them have seven days to think about whether or not that's the right thing to do. And if they decide that, then have seven days to say goodbye to their child. Well, the alternative would be to take the kids home with them. Mm-hmm. Take the take the kid home with them and take you know these people are fleeing asylum like you said they're they're yeah. seeking asylum they're fleeing they're, um, they're fleeing violence violence and drugs and all of these. Ter- Terrible, terrible things, sexual abuse. Um, so now, you know, they don't want to take their children back to that situation. And especially if they fleed, um, some of those, you know, situations might have gotten worse um, with their return. What is the flow of people coming north across the border now with, with these policies in place? Is there any evidence that has deterred people from coming here? So Center for American Progress, we actually just put out a report a couple weeks ago. Um, We looked at 81 months, um, you know, since like October 2011 or so. Um, And there is no sign of deterrence, even when the Obama administration had their own um, deterrence policies. Again, not as bad, but still still not great. Um, There was no signs of deterrence at all whenever these policies are put into place, because, again, these people are fleeing their countries because this is their last resort. They don't you know, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what's going to happen once they get here regardless. Um, But this is their last resort. So whether or not we have you know these these horrible policies in place they're going to still need to to flee do um is there a similar flight to any other countries i often wonder i mean for one thing they cross mexico that's a big country it's a beautiful country mm-hmm. uh there maybe not as many opportunities here we don't think of mexico as the shining city on the hill but uh, but still, it's a great country. Or 
it goes south, right, into into uh, South America. Do other countries get get some of these refugees or asylum seekers? I think uh, the United States is in a very unique position because of where we are geographically, because we are bordering with Mexico and Central America, South America. There is that path uh, to walk across. Um, I think that there are similar situations in Turkey, Greece, other places. Yeah, where, right. you know, no, I'm talking about Syria. the refugees from Central America, particularly it's Guatemala, mm-hmm. Honduras, and El Salvador, right? That's right. where these people are fleeing. Right. Whether they all come north, or, and all the way north, if some st- south of Mexico, or if some of them go south. I believe some do go south, but I'm not quite sure. Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, yeah. Or Panama. I mean, right. I, I, I don't know. I was just curious. I hadn't thought about that before. Right, no. Yeah. You know, on a related program, I mean, this, this all ties into the whole issue of, immig- of immigration. I mean, this is what's been getting the most attention. But in terms of the issue of immigration, I mean, nobody's even talking about comprehensive immigration reform anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's it's more just a blanket, uh, how do we make sure we don't let brown people into this country, right? Muslim ban, you've got, uh, you know, the rescinding of DACA, you've got this this effort to build this wall, and, you know, now Trump is saying that he's going to shut down Oh, yeah. um, the government, if you know Democrats don't don't uh, support his wall and, and fund it. Well, the problem is not Democrats supporting his wall. The problem is, first of all, the wall is a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. But he can't get Republicans to support his wall. Right. It's a lot of funding. It's a lot of funding uh, for something that's not going to be beneficial. Or you know, for not, everything from not going to do the job. Not yeah. going to do the job. But even if we're you know we're hearing reports of you know it's gonna it's gonna impact farming. It's gonna impact jobs. You know, people go back and forth along the border for jobs. Uh, animals that can't go back and forth, they're gonna they're gonna die out because they need to be able to go back and you know it, the the end is the list is endless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We were just talking with Stan Collender a few minutes ago about uh, this bill that would contain everything the president wants, including full funding for the wall, was voted on last year in the Senate, and it got 39 votes. Mm -hmm. So for Donald Trump to say, I'm going to shut down the government if you don't give me my wall. I mean, the Republicans who have 52 votes in the the Senate, then they had 53, I think, that was before— Doug Jones took over. Um, they they couldn't even get all the Republicans to vote for it. Right, absolutely, and and I mean, you you guys were talking about it before. It, you know, the midterms they're so important because we just need to solidify and make sure that we don't have people in Congress who are funding things like the wall and and staying so complete, staying so complicit when you know children are being ripped apart from families and and all of these terrible immigration policies that this administration. So there has for. not been any immigration legislation, immigration legislation, and it doesn't. I think it's safe to say that there won't be any this year at all before the midterms. Yeah, we're not seeing we're not seeing anything. We're still waiting I don't for see any bills yeah. moving. Or yeah, they, not, nothing. Nothing is moving. I we're mean, there was the gang of eight in the House right at one point, and years, a couple of years ago. I mean, we just said we had several members in here who were part of that. But both parties working hard. They they were very. Um, enthusiastic and very hopeful, you know, that this was going to be the answer. And then right. we had a similar effort in the Senate. And Right. There's the been a couple of efforts this year to pass bills that would make uh, the DREAM Act permanent and protect well, DACA. Right. Yeah. I was just going to get that. If we yeah. don't have, uh, if we don't have immig- uh, comprehensive immigration reform, 
then you would think at least, okay, let's just single out one program maybe right. that we could take some action on. The Dreamers program. Right. And they've they've tried to do that. But then what keeps happening is people keep adding in the border wall and other, um, you know, problematic policies to it. Um, so then it doesn't it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, so there's no clean Dream Act that's happening in, the um, you know, in Congress right now or that's being put forward. And that's what we keep asking for. A clean Dream Act basically means that there's nothing else riding on that same bill. Uh, no no request for a border wall, no request for, you know, to, to harm these families that are being separated at the border. And that's what keeps happening. These Republicans keep adding um, these terrible policies to that. Right. And um, if there were just a clean Dream Act on the floor of the House of Representatives, would probably pass. Yeah, absolutely. Because Republicans are saying it too. They're out loud. They're saying that we need to have a DREAM Act. We need to protect these DACA recipients. Um, but they just are not doing it. There's just no one that's putting it forward in a clean way. Is it? Do you find that uh, immigration is an issue that people are talking about in the midterms? Candidates are talking about? Uh, people are, uh, particularly Democrats, are making making it an issue? Absolutely. We're seeing Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, you know, a lot of these leaders, Elizabeth Warren, really coming out and talking about it. They're visiting these detention centers. Um, they're making it a huge platform issue because it is a matter of, you know, what is the morality and values? Um, what is, you know, where are our priorities as a country? Um, what do we stand for? Are we still the land that takes in um, individuals who need us? Um, it's real. It really is a matter of figuring out um, what our priorities are right now. Uh, on topic uh, this morning, uh, Donald Trump, I guess when he's not watching Fox and Friends, he might be listening to us here. Executive uh, time. Yes, yes, <laughs> right. Uh, because uh, he just this moment tweeted, mm. quote, we must have border security, get rid of chain, lottery, catch and release sanctuaries. So it's, it's, it's sort of throwing them all together. Get rid of chain, lo chain lottery, catch and release sanctuary cities, go to merit-based immigration, protect ICE and law enforcement, and, of course, keep building, but much faster, all caps, you know, the wall. Oh, God. I mean, I mean, this has been in his narrative since the start, right? He wants to make sure that we don't get individuals from shithole countries and we're getting individuals from Norway. We, we want to only have our doctors and lawyers coming in here and and not individuals who are going to do hard labor. But but that is not what America stands for. And we need to remember that and remind him of that, you know, that we are a land of opportunity. Uh, some of our hardest working and best people are not necessarily coming in with merit-based visas. They're coming in um, in all sorts of ways. And that's how we make sure that we oh, have diversity I mean, good here. luck with that, reminding him of that. But, <laughs> you know, I just wonder, the word for word, he's probably – Put out this same tweet, yeah, twenty-five I times. Know. Yeah, it's just like the, the the attacks on the media, word for word, same words, you know. And he's he's throwing it out there. I his mean, base I, loves it. They his love base it. loves it. I just yeah. wondered what impact is it having anymore. I we, mean, you know, you know, the other thing about that, by the way, but, is it's, I mean, it's word salad. You're right. We we get so used yeah, to hearing yeah. Barack Obama say things like. You know, this doesn't need a hatchet. You need a scalpel, right? And, like, immigration policy is a fairly nuanced thing. I I understand that. I don't understand the ins and outs of it, but I would like to think that the president of the United States does. He has no idea the difference between all of those things that he just put in that tweet. And they're all drastically different. I mean, we must have border security, 
Yes. Fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I sure, mean, whatever. who's going who's, who's gonna to disagree with? Their that? narrative has been that uh, you know Democrats just want open borders. They oh, just oh, want to oh, let no. everyone in, right? right. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> um, if we, I forget where he said this the other day, um, but Peter, he was talking about all the Democrats. We have that little clip that all the Democrats want to do is um, abolish ICE and open all the and open mm-hmm, the borders. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I forget. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the Sean Hannity show. Or maybe it was the Sean Hannity radio show. But that—that's his narrative, right? It's fear mongering. Yeah. Yeah. You want everything. You either support everything I want, all those things. You just in a chain lottery. Da 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 da. And and totally support ICE as it is, or. You're for open borders. It's like with the gun. Do you know anybody who's for open borders? <laughs> Absolutely not. It's a we want a fair process. We want that when people are coming here for asylum, they go through the process. We look at their case. We look and see what makes sense for them. That's all we're asking for here. But that's not open borders. That's just a fair process. Yeah. Uh, and what about ICE um, shutting down ICE? We know uh, this has become a rallying cry for some Democrats, not all Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, is it again there? I my reading is that those who say we want to get abolish ice are really saying we want to repair or re- reform, not repeal. Right. I mean, ice is a fairly new agency, and that's what people need to remember. It's it's le- I think less than a couple decades old or so. Um, and so we need to remember that our country has run successfully without it. And with it around, um, you know, there was a there was a reason for it. Uh, you know, 9-11 is the reason that Trump keeps bringing up. But we are at a point now where ICE is corrupt. Um, it's not doing what it was meant to do. It's harmful. Um, we're hearing more and more cases, disturbing cases of ICE agents that are sexually abusing, uh, you know, these mothers and children. There's no uh, accountability whatsoever as to what's going on in these centers. There's no process as to how they're, you know, separating these families or the way they're raiding in, uh, you know, restaurants and uh, stores and, and places of work, you know, it's, it's kind of become out of control. So we really need to step back and say, what is ICE really meant for? Um, what are they doing? And how do we reform uh, and make sure there's some accountability and humanity in what they're doing? Obviously, you need some law enforcement force as part of the Border Patrol, right, as part of dealing with this whole issue but not what appears to be more and more like a gang of stormtroopers. Exactly. Right, Absolutely. Yeah. And we need to reevaluate that. And hopefully whoever it's not going to happen with this president. We know that. But whoever it is next, um, they need to really evaluate what is the purpose of ICE, uh, you know, if anything at all. And I also think Democrats need to just reexamine norms these days. Right. Because there are a lot of Republicans who are like, no, 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 we cannot. We couldn't possibly abolish ICE. The, the same Republicans that ran for president, like Ted Cruz, saying abolish the IRS, mm-hmm. right? Like they're oh, yeah. not afraid no. to go there. Republicans right. aren't afraid to go there. Democrats shouldn't be afraid to go there either. No, I mean they'll remember abolish the Department of Education. Sure, abolish the <laughs> IRS. Yeah, yes. I mean they're always saying that. they and, have destroyed so many de- uh, important programs in the EPA. EPA. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean the environment's not important. I mean, Rick Perry stood up there and said he wanted to abolish three different. Uh, departments. He couldn't remember all he of them. He couldn't remember all of them. He ended up yeah. running the one that he couldn't remember. <laughs> right. But, like, they don't have any fear of pushback from their base by saying we need to abolish these things. No. No, the answer to 
you want to abolish ICE? Damn right I want to abolish yeah. ICE the way it is. Yes, exactly. exactly. Right, and get it back on track. Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> long road ahead of us. We haven't seen not about the, no light at the end of the tunnel yet, I don't think. Anisha, so good to see you. Thanks for all the good work you're doing over there at the Center for American Progress. And people can follow you at AmericanProgress.org. Sure, right? yep, absolutely. AmericanProgress.org. And when we come back from Vox, Emily Stewart joins us here, wrapping up the, the Bill Press show this Monday, July 30. Stay tuned. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? Monday, July 30. Here we go. The Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And Rudy Giuliani now is live. Uh, He went across the street. Well, actually, uh, around the corner. Uh, from Fox and Friends to now appearing on CNN. Of course. uh, CNN. All the while, uh, as part of his crusade to uh, undermine Michael Cohen, call him a liar, and accuse him of doctoring the tape because the tape ends. Now, I just want to warn you, we are going to play a couple of sound bites here in this half hour, and they will each end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do not accuse Peter Ogburn of doctoring our tapes. They've been edited. <laughs> they have been edited. That's what happens when you have audio tapes or when you have videotapes. They do end. Yeah. And yes. every TV show and every radio show <laughs> does the same thing. They edit them to make the point they want to they want to use them for, like we do. And when it reaches that point, then you end it. That does not equal doctoring. Maybe Rudy doesn't know that yet. I mean, this is mania. This is complete mania. It's like it's like saying you know people that play the. Uh, you know, JFK quote, ask not mm-hmm. what your country can do for you, what, right. ask what you can do for your country. Well, it's, uh, that's that's uh, misleading and edited because it doesn't play the entire speech. Well, you just play a part of it that proves your point. Right. What, what is he talking about? That, you know, look, Donald Trump hired him to be a loudmouth on television, and at least he's getting his money's worth. Uh, <laughs> did we say that we are brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union? Good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perone, a proud union family that feeds and serves and provides for all of America's hardworking families, uh, union and non-union, and we salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Check out their website at ufcw.org. Emily Stewart from Vox, a general reporter for Vox, particularly specializing in economic issues joins us here in the studio. Hi, Emily. Hi, how are you? It's nice to see you. You too. Thank you. Um, by the way, I just, we just since we started off uh, talking about Rudy's um, media appearances this morning, this whole flap over the weekend started when Rudy Giuliani accused Michael Cohen of being a pathological liar. Um, he made that charge yesterday on Fox News Sunday. He actually made it before, but it was kind of defending that charge um, on Fox News Sunday. As Chris Wallace pointed out to him first, um, this is a man just a couple of months ago you said was just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Here's what you said about Cohen a couple of months ago and the possibility that he might talk to special counsel Robert Mueller. I expect that he is going to cooperate with him. I don't think they'll be happy with it because he doesn't have any incriminating evidence about the president or himself 
The man is an honest, honorable lawyer. An honest, honest honorable lawyer. lawyer. But now you say Cohen is, quote, your words, a pathological lawyer, uh, liar, <laughs> a pathological lawyer, a Freudian slip, a pathological liar who's been lying for years. So what happened? What happened, Rudy says? Well, maybe now because uh, Michael Cohen's telling the truth? Well, here's what happened. I mean, I found out, as everyone else did, that he was surreptitiously recording his clients, which is a disbarable offense. Obviously, obviously, I knew that. I would never have said he was a reputable lawyer. I just said he was a scoundrel. I, uh, I found out he not only taped lawyers, but he t totally intended to deceive because he had a conversation with one of your colleagues, Chris Cuomo, in which he made a big show of putting his phone in a drawer, Cuomo's phone in a drawer, and said, we'll be off the record, no recording. He then proceeded to record two hours of that conversation. Makes him a total liar. I didn't know that. And now I've listened, unfortunately, or fortunately from my client's point of view, to many, many hours of tapes, and the man is a pathological manipulator, liar. Uh, which Rudy might make a point, except the fact that the tape does show, uh, the tape in question does show, where, no matter where it ends, uh, that Donald Trump knew about Karen McDougal, knew they were paying her money to shut her up, knew that David Pecker from the National Enquirer was involved, knew that Alan Weisselberg, his chief financial officer, was involved, uh, and knew all about it ahead of time. And now Michael Cohen also says that Donald Trump knew about the infamous meeting uh, that Donald Trump Jr. set up at Trump Tower in June 2016 to get dirt on Hillary from a Russian operative, that Donald Trump knew all about that meeting ahead of time, too, and gave the green light for it to go forward, when, in fact, uh, Donald Trump CNN shows this morning they have a whole list of 20 different times that Donald Trump denied knowing anything about that meeting ahead of time. And the reason he denies it, because if he did know about the meeting ahead of time, that might, that might, might, might just um, consist of collusion with Russians in the election. So that whole flap uh, continues. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has been crowing about something else, Emily, Friday morning, mm -hmm. out to the south portico of the White House to brag a little bit. Here he is. Once again, we are the economic envy of the entire world. When I meet the leaders of countries, the first thing they say invariably is, Mr. President, so nice to meet you. Congratulations on your economy. You're leading the entire world. Of course, we have to assume that's what they say because uh, we have these two-hour meetings where nobody else is there but right. him and the other guy. Uh, and not, not only did Donald Trump say, and he's referring to the 4.1% growth mm -hmm. in the second quarter, but this is here to stay, never the, going to go away. These numbers are very, very sustainable. This isn't a one-time shot. Mm -mm. I happen to think we're going to do extraordinarily well in our next report next quarter. So what's the truth here? Am well, I, is it as good as he says? Well, it, it is true that the economy did very well in the second quarter and that some of that is due to his policies. That's fine to say. There is also part of this report that economists say could really turn around in the third quarter. And basically what happened in the second quarter is that there were a lot of exports from the U.S., a lot of specifically soybean exports to China to try and head off the retaliatory tariffs. And so they wanted to get in under the gun. Basically. Exactly. And yeah. so 
if in the third quarter we assume that they exported everything they wanted to export in the second quarter, you're going to see a drop in that. And economists are sort of warning this might be a sort of quick burst before a little bit of a bust next quarter. There are other things that could potentially help continue to boost the economy, consumer spending, business investment. But specifically, when you look at trade and tariffs, um, policies sort of really cause a one-time boost that might turn around. Isn't it? Isn't that the uh, risk of uh, claiming too much credit when the market might have a good day, for example, or a good couple of weeks? Right. Because I'm, what goes up always comes down? Right. Well, when you look at the economy, and Trump has really tied a lot of his presidency to the stock market as well. And you can't control what happens in the stock market. The, his first year of the presidency, the Dow was up a lot. The S&P was up a lot. This year, it's all been pretty flat. So as much as he wants to claim credit for all of these good things, the question becomes, if the market does go down, if the economy does start to decline, you have to take credit for that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, people used to – I mean, there are – I guess if you just look at it from the 30,000-foot level, maybe the economy looks pretty strong, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still elements of the economy, and this is your where you do a lot of reporting, that are sluggish or not doing so well. Right. Well, you look at wages really have not gone up a lot, even when you look at the jobs report that will be out on Friday. Um, when un- unemployment is high, but wages are not going up, and we don't exactly know why that is. There is still huge issues with income inequality in the United States. So, yes, the economy is doing well, but obviously there are parts that are not. Right. Um, you, you mentioned unemployment. I mean, I think the latest is like it's 4, four or 4.1 4. or yeah, something. Yeah, around there. Right, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I mean, right. I, I remember I've always heard that most economists say, Five percent is full employment, mm-hmm. and if we're less than that, right, right. Um, we're in the middle of a long-term, you have multiple years of, of recovery, economic recovery. Almost it's, ten years now, right, right? Exactly. Eight years of which we might point out were under Barack Obama. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that that it took them. But this he never long. says that, right? right. No, yeah. of course not. But all, it, all, all of it has occurred under right. him. Yes. Right. I think it's funny that it took the Trump administration this long to really embrace the economic. I mean, they've they've clearly tried to take credit for it for a long time, but for him to really come out and own this, this was kind of his thing running for president, right? Like, you want a businessman as president. We can get the economy going. We can keep the economy going. And so they, they finally realized that, like, that might get them farther than, you know, trying to fight with Robert Mueller or Michael Cohen or all this stuff. Like, this is supposed to be what Trump is good at. Um, yeah, you know, and I, um, which is, I thought, smart for him to do, Friday, yeah, in a sense. Totally. Um, so I mentioned that I was on yesterday Media Buzz on Fox um, with uh, Howie Kurtz, and this other person I was on with pointed out, said, here's the problem. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the Cohen tapes. And, mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, Robert Mueller looking into the uh, tweets of Donald Trump right. as, as a evidence of perhaps of collusion or uh, obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. And she was making the point, look, we should be talking about the economy. The economy is doing so well. Why aren't we talking about that? And, and I, you know, my response, the reason we're not talking about it is because, yeah, he made that little statement Friday morning. Then the rest of the weekend he spent tweeting about 
Robert Mueller and Michael Cohen and chain migration and ICE and shutting down the government. Right. Uh, so what you're just saying about even the good story, Peter, about the economy gets yeah. uh, overwhelmed by Donald Trump stepping on his own message. Right. He steps on it. And, and I think the Times had a story from Jim Tanker's leak today or yesterday talking about how Republicans broadly aren't really talking about the economy on the campaign trail either. No. Yeah, it's today. Um, front page Times. Yeah. Right. So I think there's just it is a good message for some reason. They're sort of stepping on it. But it is also, I guess, a hard message to take to voters. It's kind of sometimes a little wonky, strange. And if you are in Wisconsin or Michigan or wherever and you don't feel like your life is better then that's a hard case to make, too. Right. The headline in that story is Trump boom, just a whisper on the stump. Republicans reluctant to dwell on tax cuts. And isn't one of the reasons they're reluctant to dwell on the tax cuts is because, I mean, most families don't even know there was a tax cut. No. I mean, if you you look at corporations it, are getting so such a huge benefit, and it's not going to regular people. No. And the wealthiest of Americans that owned the stock, they're, you know, they're doing a much right. better off because of the tax cut. But if mo if middle class families got a tax cut it was so small they never no noticed it. What was it Paul Paul Ryan said dollar <laughs> fifty. In a whole in a whole year it would take care of your Costco membership. God, that's right. <laughs> uh yeah, they dropped that uh, argument uh, a little bit. Um, you know, on another front, um, Facebook, it, it's sort of related to the economy. Boy, Facebook took a hit last week. What happened? Right. So both I mean, a couple of days in a row, billions of dollars, hundreds of billions. Right. So Facebook and Twitter last week both had their earnings reports, and both the next day saw their stocks decline by 20%. In the case of Facebook, it was $120 billion in one day. And sort of what we're seeing is that they're kind of seeing some consequences for some of the complaints about social media. In the case of Facebook, all this privacy stuff did cause some user, it, or it, there was some user decline and or daily active user decline or monthly active. Um, and in in Twitter's case, they've been purging kind of the bot accounts and sort of when we talk about we want Facebook and Twitter to improve their platforms. We want to stop the fake news, the bullying. The we want privacy control. I think that what you sort of saw is that there's this huge backlash from Wall Street saying, like, what are you doing getting rid of all of the bot accounts? They, they, It's kind of a disincentive for Facebook and Twitter to clean up their platforms to a certain extent. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, you could make money from white supremacists promoting their message, but do you really want to do that? Or Holocaust deniers. Or Holocaust deniers, or people who think that Sandy Hook was a was a hoax. Like, you, yeah, you can make money by publicizing those people. Do you really want to be in that business? But the, the, the problem is that maybe for so long, Wall Street just figured, if you're one of these high-tech companies, you can do no wrong. Right. And you are on a growth path, growth that is going to go forever, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly there's um, a lack of, a total lack of confidence maybe in in in, in these companies right. for on, over the long term. Well, with Facebook. Which is a total reversal, right? Right. Well, I mean, with Facebook, there is a, they ha do have a lot of penetration in the United States and Europe. So it does make sense that they're already sort of here. Um 
But also they've had this attitude of we do whatever we want. We grow at yeah. all costs and who cares? And now when they sort of even think about backing away from it, investors are like, no, 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 wait. And I think they saw this giant backlash. I, uh, th- 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 a conversation in the green room at MSNBC yesterday. Uh, uh, look, I so Peter, we have a Facebook account. Yeah, we sure do. Yeah, find us on Facebook. Okay, um, but I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay, uh, but so I don't really kind of know. But the conversation was, uh, I'd be interested in your uh, both of you. Your take is that that Facebook for young people today is like what old people do. That that young people that they don't use Facebook anymore. It's sort of they they consider it the last generation. Wow. I, well, I would that, I'll say this, right? I, I think that what Facebook has is a problem of people that are old enough that, that they could really make money off of it are now becoming completely disenfranchised by, you know, the fact that they have let, let white supremacists uh, have a platform. Plus, we know that they're sharing our data. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, uh, I've essentially gotten off of Facebook. I also have a 13-year-old. He has zero interest in joining Facebook. Zero interest. In fact, he thinks it's lame if I bring it up. But hmm. he's thirteen; he thinks everything's right. lame that I bring up. Well, what's the new Facebook? Everybody's on Instagram. Which Facebook owns? Which Facebook owns? <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, duh, of course. Yeah. But like you know, Snapchat sort of came, and I—it's I, obviously still around. But I know that like not as many people are using Snapchat as they used to. Twitter has the same problem as Facebook in a lot of ways, and that you've got a lot of bad people not only having a platform but getting verified and not getting kicked off of the service when they say horrible uh things and threaten people and you know i think a lot of people view instagram again owned by facebook as sort of like one of the last refuges where um you know it's a lot harder to get that message of hate across on that platform so does that mean we should be feeling sorry for mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I think I think that it sort of when we talk about reigning in Facebook and Twitter, when we talk about regulating, and there's sort of this question when you see Mark Zuckerberg go to Capitol Hill and you have lawmakers say to him, Well, how do you think Facebook should be regulated? There's there's no financial incentive for them to do it. The answer is that it needs to come from lawmakers, from regulators. There needs to be some sort of a not maybe a crackdown, but some more attention because they're not going to do it themselves. And that's that's right. That's the last thing they want. Right. right. They're not going to self-regulate, but they don't want anybody else to regulate them. Right. It's only a matter of time. I think it is only a matter of time. Uh, on, on in, in branching out as widely as you do in your work at Vox, uh, Emily Stewart. You can follow her at Vox.com. Right. Yep. Um, you you had an interesting interview this weekend regarding uh, the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh uh, on another on one, one front that may be, it will certainly be one of the number one issues that he's asked about, which is Roe v. Wade. Tell us about your interview. Right. So I spoke with Elise Hogue from NARAL about sort of their fight to resist Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, also in confirmation, and also about what happens if he is on the court. And so she said that activists really believe that they can stop his nomination or his confirmation that abortion rights are important enough that people will pay attention, will pressure their senators, and that he will ultimately not be confirmed. Um, that means they've got to get at least two Republicans 
Right. Not to vote for him and every Democrat to vote against him. Right. It is a tall order. Um, And then we also talked about, you know, okay, regardless of what happens on the Supreme Court, what can regular people do? And she focused a lot on the state level, basically knowing what is the law in your state. If something were to happen with Roe v. Wade, what is the abortion law in Michigan? I'm sorry, Massachusetts last week. They just passed a law um, decriminalizing abortion because there had been laws that had criminalized it in the past. Um, So it's important to know what's going on in your state. And I think that was sort of my takeaway from her. I mean, they think that they can get a Susan Collins, Elisa Murkowski to vote against Brett Kavanaugh. If that's really possible, I don't know um, that they are having a day of action on August 26th. Resist. Uh, do they see Kavanaugh as a clear no vote? I mean, not not just to res- further restrict legal abortion, but as a clear vote to repeal Roe v. Wade? That's what they, they talk about. I mean, whether or not he would, he sort of— they Well, they'll always, never say. Right, they'll but, never say. But yes, they think that he would be a vote to, to repeal ap- Roe v. Ap- ap- outright repeal. Yeah. And in which case, back to your backup plan or plan B of NARAL, focusing on the states is all important then because without Roe v. Wade, it would be a state-by-state-by-state matter. Right. And there are a lot of states where if Roe v. Wade is overturned, there are trigger laws where immediately abortion would be illegal. So it is something where people should just find out what the law is and, and look at their governors and their state legislatures and pay attention on the state level of what's happening. And that's where voting matters, too. You know, it's also I mean, if you look at what conservatives and abortion opponents have done to uh, to legal abortion in America, I mean, they oh, have yeah. stripped it down bare. So, again, I don't want to say that overturning Roe versus Wade, everything would be OK, because that would be a, a huge problem for this country. But like. You have to look at the damage that's been done to the law, even though it's legal and even though it's, you know, the Supreme Court has already ruled on this. It's settled law. They've already completely destroyed uh, it's the, the intention of the law. Very effectively. Yeah. Every, oh, yeah. every year in 20, 25 states, there are very restrictive new laws, right, to further, which has ended up in shutting down a lot of medical right. clinics, women's medical clinics, health centers around the country. And right. there's still states where you know, women have to drive 50, 100 miles just to get any health care, let alone an abortion. Right. It is, And it's the, the problem that really affects women of color and women who um, are less well-off economically. It's not women in New York who are affluent. You know, it's it's the women that most need the help that are losing. Uh, also on your radar over the weekend, a story we haven't talked about yet this morning, is the resignation of Cardinal Carrick from Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. McCarrick. McCarrick. Yes. Right. Um, the highest-ranking official of the Catholic Church caught up in the sexual abuse scandal. Yep. And the Pope accepted his resignation. Yep. On The impact right. of that? The impact? I mean... I think it's just part of this longer story of the Catholic Church really reckoning with what has happened there in sexual abuse. And obviously this is a very big name, but you also had a bunch of bishops in Chile um, step down recently. It's just an ongoing issue. Well, Cardinal, you know, I think 
he was so well loved and revered here in Washington D.C. Um, people didn't know anything about this background, and he was also, I believe, the head or the one of the heads of the commission that the Vatican set up to look into uh, charges of sexual abuse against priests. And so he was sort of the, you know, the fox in charge of the, put in charge of the hen house, I guess. Not looking back, <laughs> people would say that, but. Uh, I know it's not the only answer, but as a, a former seminarian myself, um, never ordained, um, I think this is one more argument why the church has to ad- accept a uh, letting priests get married and giving priests a healthy sexual release, uh, whether they're married to another man or another woman or whatever. But yeah. Uh, celibacy celibacy just ain't working out so well guys uh i had a little comment on that hey emily it's good to see you thanks so much for your good work thanks for coming in check out emily and all the rest of our friends there at voxbox.com this monday is all yours make the most of it come back and see us again tomorrow we'll be looking for the bill press show